Let's begin with a word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. I think that there is something different between meeting someone and knowing someone. I want you to to chew on that because I think a lot of people in churches today have met Jesus. He's a nice guy. He says nice things. He tells great stories. But they don't really know Jesus. And I, I want to say that the disciples that Jesus took up on the mountain that we call the mountain of transfiguration might very well have been in that boat. Peter, James, and John, think about this. Before this takes place in the Bible, they had seen Jesus turn water into wine. Not just any old wine, the best wine. And he did it with bathtub water. Remember that story? We preached on it a couple weeks ago. If you're going to have a wedding, invite Jesus. They had seen the blind and the crippled and the sick and the demented healed. They'd seen the dead raised to life. Jesus, and we don't talk about this, and Peter had walked on the water. Remember, they're rowing the boat in the storm, and Jesus comes trucking by on the water, and Peter goes, Lord, if that's you, call me out on the water with you. So they saw Peter and Jesus walk on the water. If we go all the way back to the beginning of this story, Peter had rowed Jesus out a little bit of the way in the boat. And Jesus said, cast your net on the right side of the boat. And Jesus said, Lord, we have fished all night. There are no fish, but because you said so, I'll do it. And there were so many fish in the net, it began to sink their boat, and they had to call James and John. Isn't that interesting? The three that he took up on the mountain saw this huge catch of fish. And if that's not enough, they saw Jesus by himself make tuna fish sandwiches for fifteen to 20,000 people. Now, we haven't preached that in a while. I hope that comes up in the next couple weeks. That's one of my favorite stories. But think about it. Tuna fish sandwiches for fifteen to 20,000 people, and there were baskets of leftovers. James, John, and Peter had met Jesus. But I'm not sure that they knew Jesus until this moment. And we call it transfiguration. So then, me being me, I had to look it up. Like, what exactly does transfigured mean? Well, here's the dictionary definition. It says, to to transform into something more beautiful or elevated. More beautiful or elevated. So has Jesus changed you? Are you a different person now than you were before you met Jesus? Are you exactly the same as you were now as you were before you met Jesus? I'm not so sure that the transfiguration that took place on the mountain belonged to Jesus alone. Well, let's look at our options. Jesus was the son of God. He stepped down from the throne of grace in heaven to come and live with human beings. And he made it pretty clear that that's who he was. 
In fact, there are seven times in the book of John where Jesus said the words in Greek, ego ami, which was the Greek for I am. He said very clearly, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am. And every time he said that, the Jewish community went, because you weren't allowed to say that. Remember, he healed the man who came down in the bed and he said, your sins are forgiven. And they were murmuring about him. Who has the power to forgive sins, they said. And Jesus said, which is harder, to forgive sins or to say to this man, arise, take up your bed and walk? And off he went. He was the son of God. So when he, uh, for lack of a better word, because I still work with children a lot, when Jesus began to glow in the dark, right, and Elijah and uh, Moses showed up, he was just reclaiming his heavenly visage. He was not transfigured. We might say he was transfigured, but he always looked like that. Now, Elijah and Moses had been dead for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years for the entire uh, book of Judges and the Samuels all the way up to Malachi and the 400 years in between. They had been dead. So they were already in heaven and they were already enjoying their heavenly bodies. I don't know what they'll look like. As long as I can still sing, I'll be a happy heavenly body. And I think I told you that if I do get a mansion, I'd like a six foot baby grand and a refrigerator full of Coke. I'll be, oh, and Vicky can visit. <laughs> right? They were already transfigured. God just moved them from heaven down to visit Jesus. So who has changed? Well, I think Peter, James, and John were changed. And we need to not only meet Jesus, we need to know Jesus. Now, they got a glimpse of what was promised. Like, you've heard the stories, I'm sure, the little boy is scribbling furiously, and his mom says, what are you doing? He says, I'm drawing a picture of heaven. She said, son, nobody's ever seen heaven. He says, well, they'll see it when I'm done. <laughs> or the little boy who was throwing the ball up in the air and catching it, up in the air and catching it. His mom said, what are you doing? He says, I'm playing catch with God. <laughs> I throw it up, and he throws it back. Do you know Jesus? Now, I, I, I don't know if you have a copy of the Book of the Martyrs at your house. I have a copy of the Book of the Martyrs at my house. And you've probably heard this before, but let's review. Peter was crucified, and a legend says that he was crucified upside down because he said he wasn't worthy to die the way that his Lord died. And then the scientists studied it and they found out that it's even more painful to be crucified upside down than right side up. Also, Peter gave us the wonderful epistles of 1st and 2nd Peter that we're working through on Thursday nights. He was the leader of the church in Jerusalem and ultimately the leader of the church in Rome. That's why they call where the Pope sits Peter's seat. He was the Bishop of Rome. He along with Paul, were the two apostles. Peter was the apostle to the Jews, and Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter was changed. He was transfigured into something more beautiful and elevated than he was before he met Jesus.
Now, James, John's brother, not James, Jesus' brother, you need to make that distinction. He was there when the boat was filled with fish. He was where, there for all of those activities. And some people believe that he was the first disciple martyred. Now, between about 33 when Jesus died and 44 when he died, somehow or other he got all the way to Spain. He's the patron saint of Spain. He shared the gospel in Spain and wound up back in Israel and was killed by King Agrippa, whose name you know from the book of Acts. He shared the gospel with an entire country before they had internet and radio and television and before he could write out, you know, a newsletter and send it by email. He literally is the patron saint of Spain, a country. He met Jesus and then he knew Jesus. He was transfigured. John the beloved disciple, wrote the Gospel of John. He's uh, credited with First and Second John and maybe Third John. The scholars haven't agreed, but he's got credit for them in the book. And the entire book of the Apocalypse, the Revelation of John. He gives us all a glimpse of what's coming. Well, that could be because he already saw it on the mountain of transfiguration. Now, John was the only disciple not to be martyred. But I, I don't know if you've seen this meme on uh, Facebook and sometimes on Instagram. They'll put a house out in the middle of the nowhere and they say, you can live here without internet or TV or they'll fill in the gap. Could you do it? Well, John was exiled to an island by himself. Some of us can't go 10 minutes without texting somebody or calling somebody. We are people who need to be connected and his punishment was to be disconnected from people for an extended time. Now, they're not really sure how he wound up back, but they think he wound up back in Ephesus towards the end of his life. Somehow, the Romans took him off the Isle of Patmos, but he spent an extended exile by himself. Now, I always say I could handle an extended exile by myself if my Kindle was charged, <laughs> right? Vicky and I share a Kindle account. We got about 2,000 books on there. I could, I could handle a week by myself. But we need people. John met Jesus, and then he knew Jesus. And he was transfigured into something more beautiful and more elevated. Now, a lot of people today are going to preach about mountaintops and how you, you shouldn't get stuck on the mountaintops. But here's a wonderful quote I I got from Henry Emerson Fosdick. He got a letter from a young lady in which she told him what had happened when they moved into a new subdivision. Now, some of us in the room remember when Cherry Hill was the new subdivision. And she said, we tried everything we could think of to make this place something other than a real estate development. We tried organized recreation, community picnics, square dancing. We formed a woman's club and held bridge parties. We even started a garden club, she wrote. We had a parents discussion group and, and an organization, and we tried everything. Listen to what she wrote. It wasn't until the church came that we changed our subdivision into a community and became real neighbors. They met Jesus, 
They knew Jesus. They were transfigured. These three men saw Jesus as he truly was. These three men heard the voice of God say, listen to him. These three men sacrificed, served, and sought out the lost. Remember? The entire country of Spain. These three men are our example today of what transfiguration looks like. More beautiful and elevated. Have you met Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Have you been changed? Think about what happens when people meet Jesus. Sinners become saints. The lost become found. The hungry become full. The depressed and the grieving become joyful. The weak become strong. The timid become courageous. The fearful become bold. The lame walk and the blind see. Jesus is a transfiguring God. And if you're not changed, I have to ask, do you know Jesus? Jesus meets you where you are, or sometimes he takes you to where he is. Henry Drummond says, I'm sorry, Henry Drummond, the Scottish theologian says, God does not make mountains in order to be inhabited. God does not make mountaintops for us to live on. It's not God's desire that we live on mountaintops, only that we ascend to the heights to catch a broader vision of the earthly surroundings below. We don't live there. We don't tarry there. But the streams begin upland and descend quickly to the gardens and the valleys below. Have you been transfigured? We're so worried, so busy worrying about Monday that we forget we saw Jesus on Sunday. Reminds me of a story. Back in the days of the telegraph, you had to have a telegraph operator, somebody who could both send and receive. And there was an advertisement put in the local paper that they needed a telegraph operator, and it said when to show up. And there was a whole room of men waiting for the job interview. And they were all sitting and waiting and sitting and waiting, and nothing happened. Then one of them got up, walked into the office, and a few minutes later, the boss came out and said, thank you very much, this is our new telegraph operator. And all the men who were sitting there were very upset. We didn't get an interview, they said. What, what's going on? This isn't fair. And he said, excuse me, the telegraph has been typing over and over since you got here. If you can understand this, come into the office and the job is yours. He heard it. Have you heard the message? Have you let the message transfigure you? This story is a little bit longer and a little bit heartfelt, but this is, this is where I am today. This is where I think we need to be today. Father John Powell tells a story about Tommy, a student in his class at a university called the Theology of Faith, and Tommy was a doubter. In fact, he declared himself the atheist in residence, and he constantly hounded the teacher, Father John Powell, and whined that there couldn't possibly be an unconditionally loving God. At the end of the course, he asked Father John Powell, do you think I'll ever find God? 
And Powell decided on a little bit of shock therapy, and he said, no. Oh, Tommy responded, I thought that was the product you were pushing. Father Powell says, I let him get five steps from the door, and I called out, Tommy, I don't think you'll ever find God, but I'm absolutely certain God will find you. Tommy shrugged and left the class, and later graduated. Father Powell heard that Tommy had developed terminal cancer, and he lifted up in prayer, and he was making arrangements to go see Tommy, and Tommy came to see him. Tommy, he said, I thought so often about you. I hear you're sick. Tommy said, yes, very sick. Father Powell said, can you talk about it? He said, sure, what would you like to know? Father Powell said, what's it like to be 24 and dying? Tommy said, well, it could be worse. Father Powell said, like what? Tommy said, well, like being 50 and having no values or ideals or being 50 and thinking that booze and making money are the real biggies in life. Tommy said, but I really came to talk to you about was this. It's something you said to me. You said that God would find me. And he said, I woke up one day and I decided to spend what time I had left doing something more profitable. I thought about your class and I remembered that one of the hardest things you said was to tell the people around you that you love them. He said, I, I started with my dad. And he said, dad was reading the newspaper. And he said, dad, I need to talk to you. And he said, the newspaper came down a few inches. He said, dad, no, I, I really need to talk to you. And the newspaper came all the way down. He said, dad, I just wanted you to know that I love you. He said, two things happened. His father began to cry and his father began to hold him. And they mourned and they wept together. He said it was easier for his mother and his sisters. And then he shared things that they'd been keeping secrets for years. And then one day he said, I turned around and God was there. Apparently God does things in his own way at his own hour, Tommy said. But the important thing is that he was there. He found me. He said, you were right, Father Powell. He found me even after I stopped looking for him. Three points. God will find you. Point number two. God has a message for you. Point number three. If you let it. See, that's the tricky part about free will. God wants to change you. God wants to make you more beautiful. God wants to elevate you. But you have to agree to participate. God's love and message will transfigure you. And yet, it's funny, as I was wrapping up the sermon while I was writing it, I kept hearing over and over the song from the musical Wicked. And it's, it's sung by the, uh, what we call the Good Witch and the Wicked Witch of the West, who it turns out, according to Wicked, were not the people we thought they were when we watched The Wizard of Oz. They sing this wonderful song. It's called Changed. I do believe they sing, I've been changed for the better. And the one says, because I knew you. The other one says, because I knew you. And they sing together, because I knew you. I've been changed for good. 
Why they say good? Because transfigured is a hard word to rhyme with. <laughs> They've been changed for good. Have you met Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Has Jesus changed your life? Amen.